And Planned Parenthood and people like me, we're very clear that our bodies are our own. And it doesn't matter if the Supreme Court has taken away the federal constitutional right to an abortion. We're going to keep fighting for control over our own body and our own lives and our own future. Um, Like hell we are. Yeah, right? Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. We are living in a volatile time in American history. One entire party is hell-bent on taking us backward to the worst parts of our country's history, filled with racism, homophobia, inequality, and the subjugation of women. Since the reversal of Roe v. Wade, every day is a new affront to the values of women and those who require reproductive rights in our society. Every day comes with a fresh new story of archaic backwards laws and the trauma of the real people who have to live under these laws. Being female in America has never been easy, but with this Republican Party and this Supreme Court, our lives and the lives of those who can give birth have become the newest cannon fodder in the culture wars. With that in mind, today's podcast is a candid conversation with Alexis McGill-Johnson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of America and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund, someone who is deep in the fight for reproductive rights and freedom in America. Despite what we're told by the religious right, Planned Parenthood is not some heathen abortion factory, but actually provides vital healthcare services to 2.4 million people each year through more than 600 healthcare centers across the country. Along with her work at Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill-Johnson is an American academic, a social justice advocate, the executive director and co-founder of the Perception Institute, an anti-bias research group, and a longtime champion of social and racial justice in America. I'm having her on, as we come up to the midterm elections, to talk about where we are as a country in the wake of the post-Roe decision. Along with democracy, reproductive rights and bodily autonomy are on the ballot, And it's warriors like Alexis who are providing the necessary leadership as we go into that battle for the soul of the nation and for our rights to our own lives. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, researcher, cultural organizer, and tireless champion for social justice and reproductive freedom, Alexis McGill-Johnson. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you for having me, Lee. It's really an honor to be here. Well, thank you for joining me. Obviously, the country is in utter turmoil since the reversal of Roe when it comes to reproductive rights. And despite all the hurt and chaos coming out of the red states with their total abortion bans and new felony laws and what I would say is truly heartless treatment of those who require reproductive health care, I think Republicans are already starting to see that their rigid stance against reproductive freedom isn't as popular as they thought, right? In fact, people all over the country are making it quite clear that despite the Supreme Court ruling, abortion rights are not something people are just willing to give away. So what are your thoughts on that? Look, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, in in some ways, I think the Republicans and some of these really incredibly extreme legislators um, are like the dogs who caught the car, right? They don't quite know what to do with it, right? They uh, they have been pre- preaching extreme rhetoric that was not in line with uh, literally how our bodies work or how people experience or make decisions, personal medical decisions about their bodies. They were not in line with the fact that it was really incredibly important for us to be able to govern our bodies, not have politicians in the middle of these conversations. Uh, they were um, incredibly emboldened around um, not not even trying to hide an agenda around power and control. And, you know, and I think it is coming back to bite them because they are seeing how personal it is for so, so many of us. And they are, are have really, I think, underestimated um, the fallout and this, you know, 50 year strategy to overturn Roe. Yeah, it's almost like stripping one half of the population of the right to our own body and health care isn't popular. Hey, how about that? Hey. There's literally no state where this is where banning abortion is popular, right? And then you tack on to that, you know, criminalizing IVF and IUDs and, you know, emergency contraception plan B. It's like, do you even understand the implications of this? No. I know. And so many Republican politicians are now trying to distance themselves from their own rhetoric, right, to win voters, like following the recent election results in very deep red Kansas, where the voters surprised their leaders by emphatically voting to keep abortion rights in their state. Representatives like Republican Senate candidate Blake Masters in Arizona, who has been running on a 100 percent pro-life message without exception, now scrubbing his campaign website so it reads differently and less about 
bans and more about limits. And now the LA Times just published an article about how California Republicans are recalibrating their abortion stance amid voter backlash, right? These people are now barely talking about abortion after crowing about it two months ago when the Dobbs or anti-Roe decision came down. Yeah, absolutely. Like my grandmother would call that talking out of both sides of your neck, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what they're doing. They're literally saying like having the most extreme rhetoric for months and years and years and years, not just months and months to have to go back and see Blake Masters actually undo, you know, try to scrub his website free from his pro-life position because it's deeply unpopular because you are seeing voters, um, women voters register in, in mass. You're seeing young voters uh, increase their um, their voter registration. To your point in Kansas, you know, that blew all of us away. You know, even, even people who have been fighting for abortion rights were surprised at, at, at the intensity and the robustness with which not just Democratic voters were energized, but Republican and independent women were energized. We saw this in Nebraska, right, Lee, where, where they couldn't get the 32 or however many legislators to um, sign up for yet another extreme abortion ban. And so, you know, look, I think that they can't play both sides, right? I think it is really important for us in this moment to hold them accountable to what they have said, because right now, so many of us are being held hostage in our states and they can't get away with that. Yeah, I think it shows us that reproductive freedom is not just essential to people who can get pregnant, but for anyone who believes in human rights, right? It's a winning issue for a political future that we see you, we've heard you, we see you, we saw what you said, and it's not even what you said, it's what you did. You pushed for this, right? You, you've, they've already passed the, um, what's it called? The Life at Contraception Act. They've already passed the Right to Contraception Act. That was two years ago. They've told us for years what they want to do. And now they're saying, please put us back in power. And we should say, nope, because you've told us what you're going to do. We can see what you're going to do. And it doesn't matter how many times you scrub your website. We know what's happening. Well, I think what they've also done is help make the, the contrast really clear, right? And the choice is really clear. There's no nuance here for, for you know, a decade, the decade that I've been involved in this fight. You know, we have fought about admitting privileges to hospitals or, you know, how wide the health center halls needed to be in order to fit two gurneys. You know, like all of these micro things that have chipped away at our right um, in a way that is made, literally made Roe out of reach for so many in so many states right now, um, even before the Dobbs decision or the post-road decision came came down. Um, but what happened a couple months ago is, you know, with Roe being overturned um, and the devastation that that has wrought, the patients who, you know, are um, literally getting in cars right now and traveling, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand miles to the nearest state with the closest available appointment um, in order to get the care that they need. It means that we know who has fought to ensure that people get access to care they need. And we know who has either been very active and extreme or sat on the sidelines. And I think our job right now is to make sure that no one gets to stay neutral, that we tag everybody with an understanding of where they sit. This this will be a litmus test for where you sit on this issue and what you are willing to do to fight back to ensure that state by state, we can bring back the care that people need. Yeah. I think as your past president, Cecile Richards, said, we have to make sure that voters know that Republicans did this. And she believes that there's a whole generation of voters that won't and honestly shouldn't be able to go back to that party. That's absolutely right. I met a woman in uh, Michigan, um, and I'll just never forget her. Just a couple months ago, I was um, traveling there. And she said she grew up um, as, a, as a Republican. She and her husband, you know, aligned. They were like political animals. They've always been very much involved in, in the fight. And that she had her own personal experience with abortion, which included her husband. And, and when they came out of that, she said, you know, when the decision came down, she said, I can't stand with you. You, can, you, you are free to do what you want to do. But I'm telling you where I'm going right now in this moment. And I just gave me such a glimmer of I trust women to make their own decisions about their bodies and and also about their politics, right? I think that there's so many who are kind of becoming very um, clear about how they are seeing the impact of these decisions um, and and recognizing the fact that, that they will be holding the folks who made these decisions accountable as well. Absolutely. And it's not just women across America. It's any sort of man who has any sense of human rights, I think, that that should be involved in this. I think people often make it a women's issue. It's not a women's issue. Pregnancy and birth are 
They take two people to tango, right? And I think that there's a lot of people who are clearly outraged watching their fellow citizens' reproductive choices being stripped away from them. 13 states already had trigger bans take effect. We've heard about the 10-year-old girl rape victim in Oklahoma who couldn't get an abortion in her own state. We've heard about the 17-year-old in Florida who was ruled not mature enough to have an abortion, but is apparently mature enough to be a mother. Louisiana forced a woman to carry a fetus who had no skull to term. She had to find somewhere else to go. And then a woman in Texas was just forced to carry a dead fetus until she could find a provider who would give her necessary medical treatment. And I think that's that's the bottom line, right? It's necessary medical treatment. People forget that abortion really is healthcare. And it's completely antithetical to freedom to limit healthcare choices of our population. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, and I, I saw um, a few of these patients on, and in conversations with providers um, uh, during SB8 um, when Texas, that Texas law took, took effect. Um, and so we had a precursor of what it would really look like when a row was, was uh, effectively um, overturned or rendered meaningless. And I tell you those stories of patients and some with intended pregnancies whose, who's, um, you know, fetuses were no longer viable and, and being told in a moment of despair that, you need to go home and, and wait essentially until sepsis sets in before you can be treated. And not even thinking through the, the implications of that, the short amount of time um, of, of danger that a patient would experience, um, you know, once their body becomes, you know, could go into septic shock. I, it, it just, it's, it's, it's wild that this is the, the way in which, um, People don't know how to even interpret these these laws and these bans, even in spite of the very good guidance that's coming from HHS. We still have folks like Attorney General Paxton saying, "Oh, that doesn't actually apply to us in Texas. It's it's overreach for for the federal government to force us to to take care of um, you know in an emergency situation." I, I just think that is really what will undo this party because they they pride themselves on on trying to be so pro-life and compassionate, you know, I say in my, you know, um, pro-life, we're using air quotes. Exactly. (laughs) Pro-life, please go die. Go home to die. Yeah, go home to die. Or some of these states are like the states where we're seeing the um, highest degree of maternal mortality rates and infant mortality rates. So it just, it doesn't jive. And I think that people see through it and they recognize how, um, you know, how devastating these, these laws and bans are going to be. Yeah, devastating and frightening. I mean, where the Republicans are in charge, they're just eviscerating the rights of people who can get pregnant. And that is utterly changing people's lives, right? They just did a new ad because of this new law in Texas, where it's now a crime to perform an abortion from the moment of fertilization. You have to be actually dying, as you said, to get it. You have to come back with sepsis, like on the table to die. But there's even a law in the courts right now where dying wouldn't even save you, right? It's just a full full ban right across the board. And Beto just put out an ad that said on August 25th, everything changed. From this day forward, women across Texas are no longer free. Free to make decisions about their own bodies, no longer free to choose if a pregnancy is right for them or their families. And even in the case of rape and incest, women are going to die from this, right? Texas already had SB8, but now abortion is a felony punishable by five years to up to life in prison. And people need to say, holy hell, what? They need to open their eyes and look at what they're doing because they can actually make a choice right now, especially in Texas. You can change your governor, which will change these laws Um, because this is a terrifying prospect. You already had $10,000 per abortion on the line with SB8 where people can turn you in um, and turn your state into sort of a, what's it called? Yeah, bounty hunter state. Exactly. Um, For private citizens to kind of identify each other and throw them into the criminal justice system and Now, with medical abortions, right, even in the hand, if you hand an abortion pill to someone else, you could be fined $100,000, you could find yourself five years in jail, this kind of thing. And it's increasingly horrifying to criminalize the act of abortion. It's not just you can't get one, you don't have access to it. It is now find yourself in jail. I mean, I think that um, what we have seen, you know, is, you know, we're one of the largest healthcare providers, Planned Parenthood um, of sexual and reproductive health care. And, you know, the currency of healthcare is trust. 
you have to be able to trust that your provider is going to give you the best um, diagnosis or or offer the 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 you know the the care that you need um, at the time that you need it. And a provider needs to be able to to um, you know know that the information you are giving them is going to help them make that that decision that determination with you. And you know when you have laws that that criminalize that increase surveillance that um, you know um, ask people to 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 not share with other people what is going on with them for fear that they may be brought into such lawsuits or, or now crimes, you know, you are reducing the information flow between patient and provider. You are reducing the ability to, to really lean into the trust that is, you know, at the core of a relationship between a patient and provider. Um, and you are, you are definitely creating, you know, situations where providers are afraid to treat patients, even in emergency situations, and where patients are afraid to share what is going on with themselves with their family members and friends. And that means you are increasing stigma. You are increasing loneliness, right? I think about these, these patients who are just on these long, lonely drives by themselves, um, you know, sometimes with their uh, children in the car because they, most people who seek access to abortion are already parents. I think about what that must feel like and, and look like in a, in a moment when, you know, we are in a public health care crisis already. You know, we're a few years into a pandemic and now we are layering on an abortion health care crisis on top of that. The weight of what these bans have, have wrought and how they have just created intentionally this chaos and confusion. Um, that's really the message here. And that's what we have to hold people accountable to. Yeah, that we don't want to live in a culture of fear on top of a medical crisis. Yes. Um, yes. It's terrible. It's terrible for anyone who's going through it. And it really is. It, it does break your heart. And it's so unnecessary. I think that's the thing. It's man-made. Like literally, yeah. it is man-made. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk about Planned Parenthood itself, right? The the organization is often so demonized for being some free-for-all abortion factory when it's always been a primarily a healthcare provider for both men and women. You only need to go to your website to see how much you guys do. Birth control, cancer screenings, STD care, emergency contraception, advice on gender identity, general health and wellness, pregnancy care, sex and relationships. Um, safe sex information, even sexual orientation information. I actually want to say that the Planned Parenthood website is excellent. I don't know who designed it, but it's so easy to navigate and so inclusive and open-minded. It's just like a great informational portal to any health questions people might have around sex, reproduction, sexuality, gender. You have support for people who are considering coming out. You have resources for parents who are trying to support their trans children. It's really an amazing organization. And I've been supporting it for years financially, and I'm not even sure I was aware of half of what you guys are doing. Well, I appreciate both your support and your um, your recognition of how hard the teams work to make the information accessible, inclusive, and really create a space for belonging. Right at the end of the day, you know, as a as you know, the nation's largest sexual and reproductive health care provider, we want people to feel seen. Right, we want people to be seen. Um, and I think what's important there is that you know, at the core of our founding, we're over a hundred years old. You know, it was it was based on the premise that the ability to determine when and if you. Be became a parent would help you govern, you know, those decisions governing your own body would actually be the basis for, for freedom, right? Would be the basis for you to live in the way that you imagined your life to be. And I think that it naturally extends to things like gender affirming, you know, care, being able to live, you know, out and proud in, in ways that you see yourself. And I think that at Planned Parenthood, we take direction from our patients, right? We listen to what our patients need and want. We put them at the center of, of the conversation. And I think that really helps us understand how issues um, with respect to sexual and reproductive health and freedom are evolving. Um, and we try to stay in tune and make sure that we have a really strong intersectional lens on, um, on what our patients need and how they need to be seen. Yeah. I mean, Planned Parenthood really encompasses so many elements, which are in many ways attack in the Republicans' version of America. It's not mm -hmm. just reproductive care. It's trans rights, um, LGBTQIA plus rights, you guys are on the forefront of so much of that. And I think people forget because they just kind of pigeonhole you into an abortion clinic. And that's never been what Planned Parenthood was about. 
look, I think Planned Parenthood pr- proudly provides abortions. I think when we, you know, we put it in a spectrum of, of healthcare. And so, yeah. you know, that means we provide everything is. from birth control to abortion, STI testing and affirmative, you know, care, because all of those are medical options to help you live the life that you dreamed of. And I think that that is, it's really important that we, um, that we proudly do so, um, that we are really engaged in stigma busting and making sure that, look, this is a, um, you know, uh, a procedure or healthcare that, you know, nearly one in four women will have in their lifetime or, or trans and non-binary folks will have in their lifetime. I think it's really important that we normalize it and make sure that it fits within the broader spectrum of sexual and reproductive yeah. And but on the terms of abortion, I mean, you guys are very um, clear at the forefront of what's going on in every single state. So if people go to the Planned Parenthood website, you're currently doing a series on your blog called The State of Abortion, where you have up to date reports on the impact of overturning Roe v. Wade across the country with sort of on the ground reports of the latest laws and the latest legal fights that we're seeing in each state. So people can go and find their own state and see what's going on and see how they can get involved. Do you find that Planned Parenthood is on the forefront of these fights across the country? Look, I mean, since the Dobbs decision, we have seen a third of states um, uh, introduce uh, a really extreme uh, abortion bans, and we have been suing in every single one and trying to hold the line because we know that even an injunction is stopping the ban from going into effect um, will help more patients get care at a time when when it is critically important. And so, you know, our work right now is to help people navigate the landscape to understand. And some in some some days, the landscape is changing by the hour. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I have to say there, there, there are, we still have patients who are, um, coming into, to health centers who aren't really aware of the implications of, of the Dobbs decision, or, you know, as we would say, you know, at Roe being overturned, they understand broadly that it means that it's come back safe, but they may not have followed, you know, followed the state by state play to know what an outright ban may exist in their state or what the, you know, what the additional regulations that a state may enact, right? Because it's, it's not just like outlawing a conception. Some maybe you can come in, you know, essentially between, you know, five and six weeks if you can find during those days. And then you've got to take two mandatory vaginal ultrasounds. You got to see the same provider in 24 hours. You know, the ways in which they have just tried to make it inaccessible without making it accessible. It's difficult to navigate, right? And so um, I think it is really important for us as a resource for communities to help them understand kind of state by state what is that, what is happening um, and also what's at stake. Yeah. And I think even with the blue states opening to a expanding abortion care to out-of-state residents, abortion funds working overtime to get people access to the care that they need, and organizations like you guys at Planned Parenthood and NARAL working overtime, the Republicans have been really clear that if they get back into power, they're going to do a national-wide abortion ban. And so yeah. what do you say to that, to people who think they're safe now in a blue state or or they think, oh, well, I could get it under six weeks in this state, so it's fine, this kind of thing. What do you say to something to remind them that a national-wide abortion ban would affect every single state and what we could do from there on. Yeah, I, I do think that there is some some notion that that we are in a safe state. I live in New York, that we're just in a safe state because, um, you know, we have protections here. And yet, <laughs> um, knowing that they have they have already forecast their playbook and that should show you kind of their level of confidence, the level of just emboldenedness that they're operating from, that they can just forecast. This is exactly where we're going. You know, this the same day of the of the leak uh, draft opinion, which turned out to be the real draft opinion, a real opinion. Um, yeah, they that, really didn't change much, did they? Like nothing. <laughs> nothing. That, you know, that morning, um, they they said that, you know, they didn't think that Dobbs was going to go far enough and that they needed a, a nationwide six-week ban. Um, and just recently, we've seen that, that the real play is a constitutional amendment around personhood, right? So really privileging um, an unborn fetus over the life of, uh, of um, you know, the person a live human. It person. Yeah. Uh, So like, I mean, I think they're very clear about what they're doing and we should believe them when they tell us because that's exactly how we got here. And Planned Parenthood and people like me, we're very clear that our bodies are our own. And it doesn't matter if the Supreme Court has taken away the federal constitutional right to an abortion. We're going to keep fighting for control over our own body and our own lives and our own future. Um, 
like hell we are. Yeah, right? Oh, Alexis, this is some good stuff. Let's take a quick break to thank the sponsors who made this conversation possible, and we'll be right back after this. The Politics Girl podcast has a new sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics. I was so excited when Thrive approached us because I'd heard nothing but rave reviews about the skincare and makeup line. It's all over social media, but I hadn't gotten around to trying it myself. Thrive Cosmetics is spelled C-A-U-S-E, Medics, because every single purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive. They are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, so you know no animals were hurt in the making of these beautiful products. But a great company mandate is irrelevant if the product itself isn't good. In this case, however, holy hell is the product good. Today, I'm just gonna talk about their Liquid Lash Extension Mascara. Here's the thing. I had a mascara club with my friend Tori growing up. We both love mascaras. And when we found a good one, we would give it to each other. Even if we were in different cities, we would put it in the mail and say, try this one. For years, I've been using tubing mascaras in the day because I'm someone who rubs my eyes a lot and I always end up with mascara down my face looking like Tammy Faye Baker. Liquid Lash Extension Mascara has more than 20,000 five-star reviews for a reason. It's ultra-lengthening, eye-opening mascara that goes all day without clumping or smudging or flaking. And when you go to remove it, it's a tubal formula, so it slides right off with warm water. No makeup remover necessary. This is simply one of the best mascaras I've tried in my life, and that is saying something for someone who had a mascara club. Thrive Cosmetics is bigger than beauty. They now have over 300 giving partners across the country to support numerous causes. Now is a great time to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. You can get 15% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash politicsgirl. That's Thrive Cosmetics, spelled C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash politicsgirl for 15% off your first order. And if you want to bundle your purchase, I would also highly recommend the Brilliant Eye Brightener and the Liquid Balm Lip Treatment. Those are also truly excellent products. That's thrivecosmetics.com slash politicsgirl. Now, men, I don't want to zone you out as I stay in the feminine for our next sponsor, Third Love. I've always said that Third Love is a bra company, but you don't have to have boobs to like it, use it, or support it. People buy gifts. People turn their loved ones onto things that they think they might like. And I'm telling you, the bra wearers in your life will love Third Love. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I pretty much only wear Third Love bras now. They fit better, they look good, they don't gape, they put a lot of thought into data-driven approach to sizing. After Third Love found out that 50% of women were in between sizes, they invented half cup sizes, and now they carry more than 60 sizes from A through H. They've improved every detail of the traditional bra, like tagless labels, slip-free straps, and fabrics that feel like second skin. And much like our last sponsor, Third Love also prides itself on giving back. They have donated over $40 million in bras to people in need, partnering with organizations nationwide. In fact, Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the US. So break the bad bra cycle with Third Love and join more than 10 million happy customers and counting. Take the fitting room quiz and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. That's 20% off when you shop at thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. I love the fact that I partner with companies that I really believe in because I know you won't be disappointed by their product. Thirdlove.com slash politicsgirl. When Everly Well approached me to be a sponsor, I was thrilled because I already had gone out and chosen their product on my own. When I wasn't feeling well and I couldn't quite put my finger on what was wrong, I ordered the Everly Well food sensitivity test and did it at home. Everly Well is digital healthcare designed to be affordable and transparent. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you're able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need. Everly Well ships products straight to your home with everything you need in one package. You collect your sample and then use your included prepaid shipping label to mail the test back to a certified lab. A doctor then reviews your results and they send them to your phone or device in days. You can then share those results with your primary doctor to help guide the next steps to better health. It's so simple that over a million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals. In fact, my husband just completed his own food sensitivity test and sent it off. It really is a quality product that helps you know more about yourself and what you need for a healthier you. For listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash politicsgirl. That's everlywell.com slash politicsgirl for 20% off your next at-home lab test. When you know more, you can do more. Why not use science to discover more about your body? everlywell.com slash politicsgirl. 
Finally, we return to my beloved Athletic Greens. Whether you've listened to this podcast before or this is your first time, I need you to understand what a fantastic product Athletic Greens is. If you're someone who wants better gut health, more energy, better working immune system, but you don't know how to put together a list of supplements that will actually work, then this is the product for you. With one scoop of Athletic Greens in water on an empty stomach, you'll be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, so all the things. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up in a complicated supplement routine that cost him over $100 a day. Athletic Greens, on the other hand, costs less than $3 a day and includes all the nutritional insurance you could ever need. AG1 is a small microhabit with big benefits. Now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop in a cup of water every day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutritional insurance. Um, you have literature online uh, that points to a medical group called Physicians for Reproductive Health, which includes more than 600 doctors, nurses, social workers, nonprofit organizations, abortion support staffers, who recently wrote an uh, open letter asking news organizations to stop interviewing anti-abortion rights activists and pitting their comments against trained and licensed medical professionals. And the letter didn't mince words, right? It was like, Allow us to be clear. Medicine and science are not up for debate. Healthcare is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. And the fact is, abortion is not in the realm of theory or belief. So this group that you have published on your site, which I completely agree with, is adamant that people remember that abortion is normal. It is healthcare. It is one of the safest things done in medicine. And they point out that no other form of healthcare centers the voices of the extreme opposition that is not aligned with facts and places them as equal voices in the conversation with doctors and scientists. And I thought that was a really important thing to highlight. I think it is incredibly important. I really celebrate the leadership of Jamila Parrott, who is the doctor who leads um, Physicians for Reproductive Health, because, you know, what we're what we're battling here is essentially a false equivalence, right? This idea right. that there are, there are both sides to everything. Um, when in fact, you see 80%, almost 80% of Americans believe that, Roe, you know, or the, the right to control our bodies should be the law of the land. And you have this small vocal minority that lives that in, in these safe seats that have been gerrymandered in all of these um, states that are banning access that are dictating, you know, what actually happens. And I think what's really important is to recognize the fact that this false equivalence that media has been involved in creating, um, it has actually created the the terms under which we, we have these fights, as opposed to being able to point out, why is it that your constituents can believe something so completely opposite than you and you can just go with with abandon without being held accountable, right? That's what we really need to understand or help people understand why they can't have what they want in the states that they live. Yeah. And I think the media, this concept of the media creating the terms or terms dictating how we talk about things is important because I know you guys are very adamant that we reduce abortion stigma by using more inclusive language. The idea being, as we fight for reproductive rights, we should make sure that our language is both accurate and inclusive moving forward. Like if we truly don't want to go back, as we say, we must also not go back in the language and imagery of the past that we've used to talk about this issue because it no longer serves the mission, right? Um, right. That as we're going to fight for these essential rights, that there maybe there is a new and more evolved way to talk about it. So I actually thought maybe you and I could talk about terms. We could go through some of the changes in the mindset of this yeah. rebranding. So people who are out there fighting, talking about this, moving up to midterms, fighting for rights and reproductive care around the country are using the terms that the leaders of the organizations really feel would be more inclusive. Do you want to go through that with me? Sure, that sounds great. Great. Okay, so instead of women's rights, you suggest we use the term reproductive rights. That seems pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah, it does seem pretty obvious. And I also think um, that 
you know, here I think we actually can be more inclusive by naming more, right? I think reproductive rights is a is the is the broad spectrum. I think we can say women's rights, um, trans rights, non-binary rights, you know, people with a uterus. You can say all of those things so everyone gets to be seen and has a sense of belonging in the space and the movement. And also, you know, ensure that what we're talking about is the is the fuller attack on our sexual and reproductive health care. Okay. And instead of saying harm women, you suggest we say harm people seeking abortions. Yeah. Same and thing, that's right? much the same, same thing. Yes. And I think you can name part of it is that we, oftentimes we use it to the exclusion of, of talking about women and not everybody with a uterus that identifies as a woman. Um, and so I think it is really important to be as expansive and as, as inclusive so people see and recognize that we are fighting with and for all. Yeah. That it's a human right is what we're looking yes. for. So instead of pro-life, the suggestion is we say anti-abortion, which I've always thought is a good idea, (laughs) or anti-choice is what it really is. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think what we're really doing is naming there the, you know, um, the the hypocrisy, quite frankly, of the uh, opposition position here, right? And and how they characterize uh, life and, and who actually counts when one talks about life. Yeah, I think that's a huge one. And a lot of people one. say pro-birth instead of, right. Well, that's it, right? Because once they're born, like, forget about you. We're not going to work on your health care or your rights or anything to help you out. It's pro-birth. Um, yeah. But what about pro-choice? You prefer we would consider saying we support a person's right to access to a safe and legal abortion. It's different yeah. than pro-choice. It, it is. And I think sometimes we use choice as a euphemism without actually being comfortable saying the word abortion, right? I think that, mm. that there has become a stigma around saying the word abortion. I think we should name the actual healthcare we're talking about. Right. Um, and I think we need to recognize that not everybody has a choice, right? I think that, that choices are afforded to, you know, um, many people with, with many luxuries. And I, and I think that, that sometimes, you know, um, what may seem like a choice is a false choice. And, and, and I think we need to be conscious of how that word itself plays out around decision making. Yeah, that often there are certain people with privileged positions who have access to everything. And so they it's their choice. But then there's other people who really have no access to safe and legal abortion based on where they live, based on who they are, based on how they grew up. And what we want to be promoting is everyone's right to access a safe and legal abortion. Yeah, or they may not have access to, you know, um, participation in the economy. They may not have access to medical care. They may not ha- have access to to expand, you know, and I think that we have to be really clear that, um, you know, that when we're talking about choice, it, it is, um, you know, I think sometimes a, a, a challenging frame when we want to be inclusive of, of people's experiences. Yeah, and I actually love the concept of, of people are afraid to say abortion, that we have tried really hard. I mean, I do it myself. I talk about we should be fighting for bodily autonomy because you can't, it's harder to debate the concept of bodily autonomy. I also think it relates to things like end-of-life care, trans uh, people's rights, that kind of thing. I feel like bodily autonomy, we all have the right to our own body, and you can't tell me what to do with my my body no matter who you are, and you have no right to touch my body unless I tell you. You can't even take organs from my body if I'm dead without my express consent before I died. And right now we've created an America in which you can use my uterus against my will. And that feels deeply wrong. And it also feels like a slippery slope to what if we say, well, I'd like to use your kidneys against my will. You know, it seems like a very weird slippery slope we're putting ourselves on. But I, I like the concept of, of people not being afraid to say abortion, because as you said, your statistic before, 80% of Americans believe abortion should be legal, that we should have access to health care. And people don't want to imply they like abortion or they're going to use abortion. And so they try and uh, even... I don't know if whitewash is the term, but whitewash the term so it doesn't seem as abrasive. But we should just be okay to say abortion. Abortion is healthcare and we could be pro-abortion. It doesn't mean we want to use abortion as a form of birth control, but the act of getting an abortion should be something we shouldn't shy away from. I, I think there it is. I think that that part of what we are responding to is how effectively the opposition has messaged on abortion, right? What right. we should be saying is that we trust people to make 
their healthcare decisions around, you know, around their own bodily autonomy, right? And so if that is the case, right, that we trust people to make um, decisions about their, um, their abortions and what I think you know, what we are constantly responding to um, have been these stereotypes um, that have largely been racialized, you know, the notion that the black mom or the woman of color, or the low income mom is using abortion for, you know, to, to what you just said, it's like birth control. It's like, no, we're reinforcing their messaging as opposed to saying that this person is making a decision about their own, um, their own body and their own future. And that's how we need, that's what we need to be um, doubling down. We're living our values in that conversation as opposed to responding to the kind of mistruths of the um, misinformation from the opposition. Right, which is one of the reasons you would rather we use the term abortion later in pregnancy rather than late-term abortion, because that's working into their idea that we're just aborting children in the ninth month because we changed our mind, which is literally never happening. Like just not at all. It's so not a thing, you know, and I think what we need to be able to do is is be able to honor the decisions that people may need to make. There's no no two pregnancies. Every pregnancy is unique. Right. And and we, we just don't know the circumstances. And, you know, when we try to use a, a catch all term like late term abortion that implies something different than I think what the circumstances are, we, which are we, usually terribly tragic and so sad. Right. You also recommend that people, particularly men, stop referencing their relationships to women or female family members as the reason they care about the issue. Do you want to talk me through that? Oh my gosh, yes. It's like like as if you didn't have a sister, we're not people. Right. Or you didn't have a daughter yet. Like, like that you just can't honor basic rights without, you know, having some proximity to it. Look, at least let's recognize that, they, that there is some proximity there. I have to say, though, I I was really heartened. Um, it was sometime after the after the the leak came down. Uh, I was sitting at dinner with a friend of mine who's a you know a big abortion rights activist star, and we were having a fantastic power dinner talking about the state of play and constitutional amendments and all the things that we were going to like fight back on. I bet and, right uh, after that Alito decision, I bet that was a passionate dinner. Oh, yeah. We were having a great time. And next to us, two men sat down and, you know, kind of completed our little foretop with a little space between us. And without hearing any of our conversation, I think we had moved on. They were they were like, oh, my God, do you know what's going to happen to Roe? And we sat and listened to them. We listened to them for 15 minutes and they just got so animated and so thoughtful and all this brain. And I just look and I said, like, that's exactly what it should be. There doesn't need to be a woman at the conversation, like telling them, you know, I wish you would care about that or let's stop talking about this. And I want you to talk about that. They were so passionate. And then the moment that we had to be able to introduce ourselves and, and, and where we sat inside of the movement and then to have a, you know, a beautiful conversation around, you know, what, what real equality and freedom looks like and what it would look like if it were truly codified. We made the constitution real um, in that regard. Um, and I, that just left me with hope. You know, I know there's so many more of those conversations that are happening around there. And I don't, I don't think that men need to wait for permission. I think they need to honor many of the people who are most impacted. And at the same time, they don't need to wait permission to get off the sidelines and and start fighting. Yeah, absolutely. They don't need to care about a particular woman to get that women should have rights. And I think ultimately, that's what you're talking about, about codifying Roe, right? You, we want to make sure we shouldn't have to, there's no law in the constitution that codifies men's rights to their own body, but apparently we have to do this. Um, but that would yeah. be a goal, well, right? A plan was written with men in mind, right? We were after <laughs> They're implied. Right? Well, more than two thirds of our history, you know, that uh, we were not even part of the equation. So yeah, we, we still have to fight to get back. So you have specifics, which I think is very interesting. And I'd love your thought on this, on imagery and language that those of us moving forward to fight for this, um, these reproductive freedoms and these rights should try and avoid. And two of them that, that stuck out to me were coat hangers and the concept of back alley abortions. Do you want to talk me through why you'd like us to kind of steer away from that at this point? Look, I think they are, they are um, both traumatizing and triggering for um, many people who did experience significant harm or, or people who were lost um, uh, in, the, in the years um, pre-Roe. I think in addition, 
Um, you know, self-managed abortion can be done very safely. Um, you know, we are in an era now with medication abortion um, that allows people the ability uh, and the privacy to uh, get the care that they need, and and you know, hopefully in a in a safe space in their in their own choice. We don't want to stigmatize uh, self-managed care um, and suggest that it will only lead to further harm. Um, because we know that many people will come to rely on on such critical care um, and have been for for decades. And so I think it's really important that we talk about the reality, the current reality of what self-managed care looks like. Um, and look, I think we all recognize that um, that the, the, the many tragedies um, that happened, pre-row, um, and the many that will happen now, right? I mean, I don't think we should be, you know, as we talked about early, you know, as the medical journal Lancet said, you know, that, that people will be harmed um, by, by the care that they do not get. Um, but I think it is really important and incumbent upon us to normalize and educate people around what, what uh, self-managed care looks like and can look like today. Yeah. And that we don't want to suggest that all illegal abortions will be unsafe because right. there will be a lot of medical providers that give absolutely safe and correct guidance. They're just doing it against the law that is um, against our rights to begin with. Right. And because we've had all these medical advances and access to abortion pills and self-managed abortions don't have to necessarily just be a coat hanger or throwing yourself down the stairs or these horrible stories we heard pre-row. Um, and back alley abortions in general sort of wrongfully depict abortion providers, people that help out as unprofessional or unexperienced or ill-equipped or dangerous, you know, like mm -hmm. we all watched Penny and Dirty Dancing. They're not all folding table monsters. And we want to make sure we don't demonize these people that actually will be helping women um, and people who are pregnant. And who are just quite frankly heroes, right? Right. Yeah. Who are, who are doing what's best for the, for their patient. Absolutely. And that goes to the same thing where we would prefer that um, as we move forward, we don't use the term underground railroad because it co-ops yet another movement that was led by black women across the country. And it also erases the important and visible work that abortion funds are doing across the country that are really helping to get people the care that they need. And it is in the light. It's not an underground railroad thing. It is really in the light. The underground railroad was its own thing and it belongs in its own time. And the people that were part of it deserve their own respect. And we need to have a different version that talks about it, which I think is the same as, you know, referring to third world countries or equating this kind of behavior that's happening in the States right now with the Middle East in a negative way, like calling the Supreme Court the Taliban or talking about Sharia law, because it plays into Islamophobia, right? And it perpetuates this mm -hmm. false narrative that this kind of behavior never happens in the U.S. Because it certainly is happening in the U.S. and we don't need to be equating it to somewhere else. Uh, absolutely. Um, you you are a star student, Lee. I think you captured it all. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's my favorite thing. I'm such a nerd. You just, I know. No, that's I'm my like sweet spot. I just, you just totally, I nerded out with you for a second too. I was like, oh, she's explaining this beautifully. And I think that I'm really grateful that, um, that, that we have a resource um, and that, you know, I think particularly to the um, last points that you made, I think this is a, a deep connection to the the real work that reproductive justice leaders have done to bring intersectionality into the broader reproductive rights and health uh, space. And I think it's really important um, as an organization that is a reproductive health and rights organization, not a reproductive justice organization, that we get as aligned um, and using our uh, platform to lift up and honor the, the work that so many who continue to do um, incredible work to center the people who are most impacted um, are leading. Ultimately, it's about taking care of our people and about freedom. Absolutely. So before you go, what's the best way for people to help you fight back against these backwards and archaic laws and ideas? What, what do you think the next set of elections are so important and so essential to the future of our nation? What, what can we tell people that they can help out with? Well, look, I mean, ultimately, you know, um, everything is on the line. Um, come this November, we are going to continue to mobilize people and make sure that we are, are turning folks out. Um, we need in the Senate, we need 52 reproductive rights champions, right? And we need to be able to do that to pass um, critical federal legislation to um, protect and codify Roe in our states. Governors are going to be the critical backstop to protecting um, access to, to care. Um, I think, you know, as you alluded to, the fight in Kansas, 
to Pat Ryan's victory in upstate New York. Um, you know, they have, I think, created a, a, an important playbook for recognizing the fact that, you know, that there's so much more that is winnable than I think um, we typically, um, you know, believe um, when we when we run on reproductive rights. And I think that having those proof points, um, having politicians literally running away from their 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 horrible anti-abortion uh, <laughs> records should go to show you, right? And so I think for anyone looking to support the President of Planned Parenthood Action Fund, our priorities um, are going to be in states like you know Georgia, Nevada, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina. Carolina, New Hampshire, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Those are going to be states, you can find all of this on our website, um, bandsoff.org, um, that those are going to be the places where we have those mix of Senate races, of governor's races, of a couple state houses, where we we believe we can help hold the line and expand and extend access. Again, the fight is now, um, it'll be in November, and it's going to be, you know, every election for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future. That's the only way we actually win and sustain those wins. Yeah, that's right. We have to vote and we have to get our friends to vote and we have to talk about these issues and we have to show what has been happening. And like you said, we expand the Senate and make sure that there's more votes there that codify our rights into into um, our laws, that we look at the governor's mansions and we make sure that we have governors in place that will support reproductive freedom, that we look at the local state legislatures because they are the ones that often hold the line between a complete state ban and not a complete state ban. And we have to hold the House to make sure that that laws laws like the Life at Conception Act can't get passed, right? Ultimately, they can help by going to websites like Planned Parenthood. And you've done the research. These are the states that need the help. These are the states that we can hold the line. And then we can support you in supporting ourselves and supporting freedom in America. I think that's essential. I want to thank you for being here with me today, Alexis. I know first and foremost, you consider yourself a researcher, and there is certainly a lot of data to collect right now to get the best results for the country. But I so appreciate your insight and your work at such an important organization like Planned Parenthood at a time like this. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me when I'm sure you are endlessly busy. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate being here, Leah. I thought it was um, just a fantastic opportunity to connect to you and to, I hope, help people understand how we got here and have some thoughts about how how to get out. How to get out. We can do it. We absolutely can. And people need to know that this is, this race will not be over in 22 or 24. We're just going to keep pushing ahead. That's right. So that was Alexis McGill Johnson, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, reminding us that we are in a battle and you don't need to be a woman or a person with a uterus to be fired up to win this war. The majority of us are absolutely outraged watching as the Republican Party strips our fellow citizens of the right to their very bodies, and we need to be single-minded in our goal of defeating these politicians and their uncompromising laws that put our very lives on the line. The midterm elections and the elections that follow are a referendum on what kind of country we want to live in. A dark, dystopian, fear-based nation that requires our submission, or a country that respects the individual and the freedoms and rights we have always held up as our birthright. It's one path or the other. There is no longer a middle ground. I want to thank Alexis for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.